0: The Marine Corps' bid to replace its heavy-lift helicopter is running into heavy downdrafts. Dubbed the CH-53K, the chopper is 15 years into development, yet it still has technical problems and costs and, as you might have guessed, spinning out of control like a loose rotor blade. Here with the latest, the Director of Contracting and National Security Acquisitions at the Government Accountability Office, John Ludwigson. John, good to have you back.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Tom.
0: First of all, give us a quick background on this program because it has been running for an amazingly long time.
1: Yeah, this is a very important capability for the Marine Corps. It's really one of the critical links to move Marines and equipment from ship to shore and many miles inland in many cases. And the CH-53E, which is the predecessor helicopter, was facing some challenges in couriering the heavier equipment inland. And so Fifteen years ago, they began the journey to create the 53K, which is a considerable upgrade in terms of lift capability and the ability to particularly put heavy equipment on slings underneath the helicopter and move it inland. As you noted, it's been a while. They're getting close to wrapping up developmental testing, which would leave them poised to do the operational test to see if the equipment meets their needs.
0: But isn't this the basic helicopter that goes back to 1960 that they're just reworking, or is it an all-new frame?
1: Well, it's a considerable upgrade, both, as I mentioned, in terms of its lift capability, it's capable of lifting uh, considerably more weight. Really, the threshold requirement for being able to lift external weight is 27,000 pounds versus 8,000 pounds that the 53E could lift. And the overall carrying capacity is up considerably as well. So that in and of itself required upgrades, uh, obviously, to the engines and, and rotor system, In order to provide that lift, internal dimensions are bigger. You can actually drive a Humvee inside of one of these, can be reconfigured to carry troops without needing to reconfigure the floor so they can uh, put troops in and pull the Humvee in without doing considerable uh, changes to the inside. It's a a fly-by-wire configuration, which gives them some more flexibility in terms of being able to hopefully be resilient in the event that it were to take some damage.
0: Sure. So 15 years in development, then, what is taking so long? I mean, what did you find that uh, their scheduling system doesn't seem to really reflect reality?
1: So a lot of problems were discovered along the way to here. The upgrades to the engine created a challenge with the engine re-ingesting the exhaust gases, which are hot. And so when the engine would re-ingest the hot gases, it would cause the engine to run hotter and sometimes shut down the main rotor gearbox was one of the challenges that they faced putting all that power to the rotor created a wear and tear in excess of what they'd anticipated so they had to spend a lot of time getting that squared away so those are part of what got here and now as they look forward we're concerned that the schedule may not fully reflect the best practices as we look at it so when you think about GAO we have a team that looks at the schedule constraints that these programs operate under and What we found was that the schedule wasn't completely in compliance with the leading practices that we look for. In particular, we found we didn't find it to be well-constructed or credible. And well-constructed refers to making sure that all the activities are sequenced appropriately and ensuring that there isn't too much float that appears in the schedule, for example. And those are things that we found were problematic with this schedule and we also found that it was incredible because, among other things, they hadn't done a, a risk assessment, that if something happened to the schedule, what would that do to the schedule? So if one of the events was late, what would happen to the rest of the schedule?
0: We're speaking with John Ludwigson, director of the Contracting and National Security Acquisitions Team at the GAO. And so you also mentioned in the report that the Marine Corps has acquired some of these pieces already. Does that mean they don't work well or they can't lift as much as the Marine Corps wants, but they bought them anyway? What's going on with the acquisition part of it?
1: Thanks for bringing that up. One of the things that they've done is they've signed what we refer to as low-rate initial production, four lots, so they've got a total of 20 helicopters that are under contract at about $3.8 billion in cost. And those helicopters include features that are going to need to be retrofitted for the deficiencies that have been found along the way. So there are a total of 126 deficiencies. 106 of them are related to operational suitability and effectiveness. And those would have to be fixed. And the retrofitted helicopter would be tested for operational use. So the retrofit process is expensive if you are fixing something that is really inside of the operations of the helicopter. So, when you think about the things I mentioned, the exhaust gas re ingestion and the main rotor gearbox, for example, those are going to require some attention and the retrofit cost could be expensive. So, one of the things that we mentioned in our report as a recommendation was that we were concerned about the concurrency, so the overlap in testing and production, has expanded as this program has been slowed down through the developmental testing. You've had an instance where you've now got overlap of producing helicopters that have these deficiencies built into them, those are going to need to be retrofitted, and we recommended that the Navy and Marine Corps not increase production above the six helicopters per year that they're currently at before they complete testing.
0: God, how many of these things do they plan on acquiring eventually?
1: Well, right now they're slated to purchase a total of 200 helicopters, which was an increase from their initial starting point. But as I said, this is an essential link to move Marines inland along with their equipment. So it's important that they're able to have this heavy lift capability. They can move the heavier vehicles that are being required uh, in combat situations. So they're currently slated for 200. Although there was a study that was just done, completed in March, that is suggestive that they may reduce the number of heavy lift squadrons from 8 to 5. And we're not sure at this point what that means for the total helicopter needs, but it could mean that the reduction that we're recommending might not be a significant impact to the Marine Corps.
0: And one interesting note, too, is that in the final specifications, it can't fly as far as the CH-53E, I guess because it's so much heavier and has so much more stuff on it that it it can't go as far inland in the first place?
1: Well, I think what they've tried to do is to set up this helicopter to be able to do almost everything that the 53E can do, although you are correct. It is a much heavier helicopter and, and faces some challenges to do all of those things. In addition, the idea that it's going to have the heavy sling underneath it poses some challenge for the helicopter as well.
0: Sure. And what about the contractor, Sikorsky? Do they bear any responsibility for this, or is it all just changing requirements that's driving this program out so far?
1: Well, it's not so much changing requirements. It's difficulty in meeting the requirements. And unlike some of the other military systems that we've talked about before, Tom, this one is not a a fixed-price contract. So they're trying to work through this, but the government's going to be responsible for a lot of the costs here.
0: And with that hot gas coming into the engine and the rotors and so forth, is it a dangerous instrument at this point?
1: Well, it is, as you can imagine, helicopters require engine power to fly. So if you are in a situation where you lose operation of one or more of the three engines on the helicopter, you lose capability. And exhaust gas reingestion, as I said, heats up the engine and creates a challenge for it to be able to do everything that they're asking it to do.
0: Sure. In the old days, they called that turbocharging, but I guess it doesn't work in these types (laughs) of engines. And so what are your recommendations at this point?
1: We made a recommendation that they update the schedule to better comply with the leading practices that we identified in the report. We also, as I said, recommended that they not increase production of the helicopter, not increase purchase of the helicopters until they get through what's referred to as Initial Operational Testing and Evaluation. And that's expected to be completed sometime next year.
0: And by the way, just as a program, this one is being run by the Navy directly, correct? Not the Marine Corps itself?
1: So this is being run by the Navy, you're correct. But the Marine Corps, as you know, is is part of the Navy. And uh, oftentimes the Navy is going to be the entity that's going to operate the acquisition and, and procurement end of the uh, providing the Marine Corps their equipment.
0: All right. I hope nobody rides in whatever is on that sling underneath. That's just for stuff, right? Not for people.
1: Yeah. The idea is it would allow them to carry the heaviest vehicles and artillery below the helicopter, but I don't believe it's a uh anticipated that anybody would want to ride down there. There's lots of room inside the the helicopter.
0: Sure, where there's peanuts and soft drinks. John Ludwigson is director of the Contracting and National Security Acquisition Team at the GAO. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
1: This episode is brought to you by Zell.